that you might manifest your life not only in us, but manifest your life through us. God, we pray even tonight for the church all over the world, that there would be an outpouring of your spirit that would begin to energize and awaken the church under righteousness, that our course would be changed, that our desire would be relationship with you above all others and understanding that you became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that we relish that relationship and we live and awaken to the righteousness that purges us from sin and allows us to walk rightly before you as sons and daughters of God. So cause your church to arise in this day and this hour as a governing force that others might follow that truly we might be seen as the light of the world, a city set on a hill, leading an example of life and relationship with God, of stability in the midst of a world that is shaken, that the world that is in darkness might be drawn to the brightness of our rising, that we wouldn't back off and put our light under a bushel, but we would let our light shine before men. We pray tonight for our governmental leaders that you by your spirit would have encounters with them, that you would break up the stony ground of their hearts that have been hardened to one another, have been hardened against one another, that causes them to not even work together but causes division. You said a nation divided against itself could not stand, so we ask you to break up the fallow ground and the hardness of hearts in our leaders as only you can do and begin to soften them and begin to reveal once again a purpose in their leadership for the nation. Not a partisanship, not politics, but leadership. That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. We pray for our president to continue to work in his body a healing and a cure. And in working in his body, you begin to create an encounter with him that he would have wisdom and understanding beyond his own capacity to lead, to speak to others, to speak and articulate leadership and the power and the direction that we ought to go, to make known as only you can do wisdom that comes from you, that we as a people might lead a quiet and peaceable life that we as a nation might arise to a heavenly calling, to be a nation that is a light nation, a sheep nation of God that brings the light into the world, that we would be a source and a, a conduit by which the gospel could go out to every nation, that we might see Jesus return to the earth. So open up our eyes tonight. Speak as only you can speak. Deal with every heart and life according to their place of growth, their situation. Encourage us, teach us, guide us, anoint us for what's before us. And we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, and all the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life. I thank you, Lord, for moving all over this campus. That right now, down there in Iwana, that the children are learning the Word of God. They're putting it down in their hearts. As the teachers are loving them and guiding them as they're having a good time, but they're also opening the scriptures and learning the word of God. I thank you as the youth go down to their meeting that you will meet them in that place. 
that each and every one of them will begin to have encounters with God, that the outpouring of the Spirit of God would come upon our youth, that just as your word says, our sons and our daughters will begin to understand and proclaim and prophesy the word of God over their generation. So I thank you, Lord, for equipping us for this day, this hour. I thank you it's the day that you've made for us. We rejoice and we are glad. Rejoice in everything that you will do in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, youth, if you make a big noise, I'll let you go. Are you all glad to be here? All right, you can be dismissed. Why don't you give them a hand as they go? Praise the Lord. You can be seated. I don't know about you. I love the energy that uh, having Awana and the children's going on, the youth here on Sunday night, just things moving and shaking. And uh, sometimes it looks like it's in the natural, but we get excited because God is doing some things in the realm of the spirit. And so um, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, I'm just trying to endeavor to move around here. I want to remind you uh, uh, of a prayer on Monday night at 7 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. We're praying for the church to arise. We're praying uh, for our nation. We're praying for our leaders. Uh, glory to God. And uh, so in our nation, if we're not careful, we, we begin to think that the church is supposed to be pushed back into these four walls on a couple hours on a Sunday, and that's not what God ordained. God ordained that the church would be a governing force, not a political force, but a governing force that we actually come together, we hear the word of God, we get direction for life, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow that direction, live that direction, so that others might follow us as we follow Christ. And so it's really important uh, what Hebrews says that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, the gathering of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and even more so as the day approaches because we're not really just coming together like a social club just to, to have a good time for a while and then go out throughout the week, but we're actually coming together. And I believe that God is doing something supernatural. We think, well, you know, if, if we're not careful, we get to the point of, well, I'm just coming, this is about the time, and we'll sing a song, and uh, we'll do some things, and then he'll get up, and he'll talk, and I'll listen, and then I'll go about my week. But we really need to set ourselves to understand that there's something that God wants to do in a synergy, in a pulling together. There's something that God wants to say through the familiar voice that you may hear, which is usually my voice, uh, if you're a part of this church, and not have you just go, okay, all right, I've heard that. But God wants to say something to you wherever you're at today. And the importance of gathering together if you're growing is you may say, well, you know what? He's going to say some of that stuff next week, but you should be in a different place next week than you are today. I mean, if you can come to church once a quarter and just go, you know what? That's just about the same thing. Then you may say, well, nothing's changing at church, but really you're not growing because you could take this word that is alive and share the same scripture week after week. And the spirit of God could make it alive in your growing and, and, and make it be something that you could grow by every single day. Because it's supernatural, it's not natural. And so he said, as the day approaches, it's even more and more critical that you come together to create a supernatural support of your life and a strength and know that you're not the only one out there living for God, but there's people all over 
the community all over the region, all over the nation living for God. If you're not careful and you just watch the news and listen to people be downhearted, you can begin to think, well, are we the only ones? Am I the only one at my workplace? And all of a sudden you start to find out I'm not the only one. That the church is all over the place. Amen? And Jesus is raising up the church and it's a powerful time that we really begin to understand and look at those things. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, I want to start something just a little bit new uh, tonight. And so open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. I believe it dovetails into the things that we were talking about in denying ourselves, reevaluating, taking up our cross and following him. But I believe it's something that's important to us. And, you know, as it is, I'll, I'll wander around just a little bit and, and hopefully we'll get to the things that we need to get to uh, as God leads us. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, and this is just going to be kind of a supplemental text. I want to get to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, I really encourage you, and uh, we're going we're gonna to get into this just a little bit tonight, but I encourage you to bring your Bibles, right? Tonight I see a lot of people opening up their devices and stuff. Sometimes on Sunday morning people are just looking at the screen, but I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I just encourage you once again, if you haven't already uh, sensed that through a time of praying as we've gone through this year, a, a time of commitment to 100% fall in love with the Word of God again in a different way. As Alan was saying this morning, you know, we can just get into habit. As he was talking about the offering, you know, just get into a habit and not really diligently understand what God is doing, which just mentioning that I have been in just a place in the last, since we've come back to live on Sunday night, that everybody has to remind me. But since I'm on that track, if you weren't here this morning or you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, and if you're watching <laughs> online, we want to give you a chance to give right now. Amen. If you're making that check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. And if you are uh, giving online or you need to give online, you can go by text giving or you can go online by giving. And so you can prepare that. But Alan was just talking about how it becomes a habit. And, uh, and really anything that just becomes a habit and becomes so convenient that we just do it almost without thinking, then we're not really attaching faith to it. And so we can develop habits in our life. We can even develop habits of Bible reading in our life, and it just becomes habit. But it doesn't really reflect a passion about the Word of God. And so I, I really just encourage you right now, uh, as we talked a little bit this morning, to get a passion about the Word of God. And so many things can, can change uh, as you're going through the Word of God and studying the Word of God. And, you know, I've gotten my device here, and I have so much in it, and... Uh, and uh, you know, so I get into my morning study time and stuff like that. But just a couple of weeks ago, Hampton here uh, blessed me with a brand new Bible, a paper Bible. And I put that on my, my desk. To, and as I put it on my desk, I'm reading mine. And then I'm going over and I'm looking at notes in that Bible. And it stirred something in me about the Word of God. See, there's just some different things that will stir something in you. Just break your normal everyday habit and cause you to go, oh. And enlightened because the Word of God is alive and the Word of God is powerful. And we're going to talk uh, over the next few weeks about stirring up the gift that is within you. The gift that is within you is so incredibly important to the people around you. 
very often in not understanding ministry to the full, when we start to stir the gift on the inside of us, we begin to think pulpits, we begin to think churches, we begin to think uh, 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 a ministry or a pulpit position. But man, when God starts to stir up stuff on the inside of you, let me just tell you what he's thinking. He's thinking people. He's thinking people that, that if he can just get the word of God in you, the truth of God in you, and get that stirring something, that he can take you to places that you'll never dream that you'd be, stand you in front of people you never thought you'd stand in front of, because he's looking for people that will just say, I'm right here, use me to change the life of someone else. And you know, we don't want to be in a place where God's right here having us positioned in front of somebody and we don't know exactly what to say. But when we're full of the word of God, sometimes we don't know what to pray and we have the Holy Spirit, thank God, but sometimes we don't know what God wants in a situation and it's clear in his word. So the word of God not only helps us understand what God has for our life, it helps us to pray. It helps us to worship. So just fall in love with the word of God. You know, was it last year when you were home that you were speaking? And, and again, on this same vein, uh, Seth, he just stood up to share what they were doing in Croatia and stuff. And before he started any of that, he was holding his Bible and he, he just said, man, I just, tell, I just love the word of God. And we all just need to say, you know what, this isn't something that I have to do and, and I do it because I have to and leave it on the nightstand. This is something that we actually have the privilege because of the life of the Spirit to looking into and allowing God to reveal His Word and reveal His heart to us. Amen? And it really stirs up faith in us. Praise the Lord. And so we don't want to do, start, we want to just be aware of what we're just kind of doing by habit, our church attendance, our day-to-day -day life. And say, you know what, I really want to apply faith to it. I really want to know what God is doing in these times and areas. And I want to approach, I want to approach every Sunday and every day and every encounter. I want to approach it by faith so that I can draw from it all that God has for me in it. And I'm not, not trying. I hope you're not taking it like super strange because it's not. When you get it strange, you're like, oh God, can I need to know and have faith. Can I, you know, blow my nose right now? Well, no, if it's running, please, for all of us, blow it. But what I'm talking about is really just getting into that place and that capacity of your life that you can recall the word of God for every situation and know that God has a plan for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all got your offering ready? We pass out stuff. All right, so let's pray over your offering, and you can leave it in the receptacles as you go out that way or you go out that way. And, uh, Father, we just thank you. Every opportunity that we have to give, it's, it's so important, the purpose of us bringing our tithes and our offerings and declaring to you that we are in covenant, that everything that we have belongs to you. We declare that as we bring our offering, that representation of the hours of our life, spent at our job and doing what we do and we present that to you but we also know the promises of the offering that you'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that there's not room enough to receive it so in faith we present our offering to you knowing that we have covenant with you and in faith we open our hearts to receive as you open up the windows of heaven as you rebuke the devourer for ourselves, as you cause us to be a blessed people and we do command the blessings of the word of God upon each and every one. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. First Peter chapter 4. Sorry, that was a, a real wander around all of that. I mean, just imagine we said last week how a preacher can forget to take the offering, but there you go. I can do it. Um, verse 7, Peter says this. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. We know that we are in a season of praying, praying for our nation, praying for the day that we live in, praying concerning all the things that are going on. He said, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love one for another. Above all things, right now, when there's so much division, there's so much trial, there's so much pressure, there's so much uh, man alive, you turn on, there's so much bad about this and upset about this and commentary about that. Man, it's hard to believe that people really actually think they know what somebody said when that's not what they said. It's amazing to, to know that people think that you can't listen to something and draw a conclusion for yourself. And so in all of that, he just said, listen, we are going to be, have to be very watchful and pray. And above all of that, have a fervent, a heartfelt, hot love for one another. Because love will cover a multitude of sin. Other translations say a, a multitude of wrongdoing. Listen, we're all making mistakes, and there's just something about embracing one another and supporting one another in the love of God. Not turning a blind eye at sin, not saying sin doesn't matter, but loving each other through the mistakes that we've made to get out on the other side, to encourage one another that the blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us, that sin no longer has to be the thing that hooks you and binds you and holds you back. It no longer has to be the weight and, and that thing that keeps you from running your race. And how do I know that I, I, I'm not just bound by that sin any longer because people encourage you and love you, and even more so in the day that we live in. Verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <laughs> Now that really makes sense to me. Certainly it does, but let's all be hospitable. Oh, golly, do I have to be nice to them? Do we really have to be hospitable to people? Do we really have to make them feel welcome here? But you do. All right, I'm not breaking that down right now, but verse 10, he says, as each one of you, this is what I want to get to, as each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever and ever. Now listen, I just want to put this over here and put this aside because we're going to come to that. But he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards, Right? In other words, the gift is not yours. The gift is God's that he put in you, right? We could look at it like this, that if you all of a sudden realize that you have a gift, you have a grace in your life, and we'll spend some time over the next few weeks looking at some of those things. But, you know, we get into a place where, where it's personality, and, and I'll just use this for an example. If we go back to Romans chapter 12, and we begin to look at the graces, Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one that measure of faith. And so he says it's by the grace. And some of you, you we could have this one. Some people have a, a grace or a gift by God of giving. 
And sometimes we just look at the people who have money and say, well, maybe they have a, a gift of giving. But I could tell you somebody who doesn't have much money could have a grace to give. And if they understand the grace that God has put on them, not their own ability, simply their own talent or ability to make money, but what God has put on the inside of them, then there's a generosity that flows from that that's supernatural. Right? And so it's not something you can strain at. It's not something that you can work up. It's something that you have to yield to. Right? And if you just have a lot of money and you make a lot of money and there's a grace on your life and you have a lot of money, you don't know what to do with it. And that's where we'll come down to unless you know what the Word of God says about that. So you can't really stir up the grace of God for giving or the gift of God that he's put in your life concerning giving without the word of God, without building faith in the word of God that this is what God has put on the inside of me and I will stir it up and it will reflect in generosity and my generosity will really lift up thanksgiving to God through me. And so in other words, the gift of God came to me, not of anything that I did. He put it on me. But when the gift is utilized, guess what happens when the gift is utilized, when it's put into practice by faith, not of our own works, but by faith, God is glorified. God's glorified. So many times we get to the gift and we're trying to figure out, is this my talent? Is this my ability? We work really hard at it without getting into the word of God, without getting into praise and worship. We just think, well, this is my gift and I'll let it run. But then all of a sudden, it's all about us. And he said the gift is really to generate and come back to him. That lives are to be affected for him and not for us. And so he said how we take care of, how we steward or we manage this gift, this grace that God has given to us is incredibly important. And so when we speak is of the oracles of God, and if you look back into the Old Testament, and God really began to deal with some of them because they said they were speaking as of the oracles of God and they weren't speaking God's word. So he said, listen, when you have a gift, you want to really endeavor to speak as of the oracles of God as ministers of one another, as God supplies to us. So again, that God will be glorified. Now turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. There's some partnering things in here. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so we're trying, we can establish some things that Peter said. We can establish some things that Paul said to Timothy and understand that God in the scriptures brought two or three witnesses to bear so that we can say, listen, this is what we're going to look at. This is what we're going to do. And so in first Timothy or second Timothy, excuse me, chapter one, and we're going to start in verse three. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us 
with a holy calling. You might highlight that or underline that. He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And he goes on to say some other things about that. But I want to just take some time and, and, and kind of walk through this in, in, in a, some different areas and uh, begin to speak to this. First of all, if we're going to stir up the gift of God that is in us, and we're going to see the results of the gift of God that is within us, and I know this may be redundant in, in our speaking, but it's good for us to hear the word and begin to, to really uh, break this down. But he, he goes on, he, he greets him with some things, but then he said, I call to remembrance the genuineness of your faith. If we're actually going to stir up the gift of God that is on the inside of us, if we are actually going to to understand and put our trust in God and steward the grace of God on the inside of us, we are going to have to have and relate a genuine faith that we have in God. And so I won't try to describe or pronounce all of the words that he's talking about here, but just to tell you the root word that he talks about here without attaching anything to it means to judge, to judge under or to act under a disguise. And so he adds on to that that really says that the genuineness of Timothy's faith is something that is undisassembled. Undisassembled. In other words, he said, I'm thankful that your faith is not a disassembled faith. And when I was reading that, I began to see that this you know what? There's things always at work to disassemble your faith. And how do you understand and how do I understand that my faith has become genuine faith? Well, again, Peter lets us know and, and understand that where he begins to talk to us in James chapter 1, where he said, listen, there's a trying of your faith. He said, let us rejoice at the trying of our faith because the trying of your faith produces patience. He encourages us to let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete and entire, lacking nothing. In other words, for your faith to be recognized as genuine, it's going to have to go through some testing. It's going to have to go through some trying to say that I believe God. It's easy to believe God when everything is going good, when everything's going your way. Well, man, God, I just praise God. But when things turn, when difficulty comes, when it seems like you're suffering, that's when you find out, am I going to leave God and doubt God and, and, and my faith come apart? Or when trials come, is that when my faith comes together? Is that when I believe God with more sincerity than I ever have before? Is that when the fire starts and the fire begins to burn up the chaff, the, the relating unrelevant things about my faith that really come to bear with activity and talking to other people and listening? All of a sudden, I've got things attached. But when, when the fire of God comes, when the, the fire of trial comes, all of a sudden, it burns up everything. And we're standing there with that fear, fear. A pure, undefiled, I believe God. Amen. Come on. Most of you know this. Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel, but I'm moved by what I believe, and I believe God. 
And there's some times where we just have to say, you know what, instead of like, where is God in all this? I don't even know if God exists. We say, whoa, wait a minute. In all this, there's one thing that remains, and it remains strong, and that's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on. And God said in Malachi, he said, I'm the Lord God. I do not change. And even though you've changed and even though you've left me, the reason that you're not consumed is because I'm the same starting out this covenant as I am right now. Though you've broken covenant, I have not destroyed you because my love for you is the same. And I made a covenant with you. He's the one thing that is the same no matter what the circumstance. And God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Yet the enemy comes to disassemble your faith and put it in compartments to say, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this over here? And take it into little pieces of things that have happened to you. And God says, look at it in the whole. I've been with you every step of the way. Peter tells us this, that when our Faith has been tested by fire. He said, if need be, there's some trying times that come to us. But when your faith has been tested by fire, it is purified and it comes out more precious than gold. When you find out in circumstances of life, all the things are great. Health is great. Prosperity is great. All those things that come from it. But when everything else remains, it's my faith in God that is more precious than any dollar amount, anything else that I could gather in the natural. What's more valuable to me than any of it is my faith in God. See, it's from that place, it's from that trusting place that the gifts and the abilities and the graces of God really get stirred up. They really get to moving around when you realize that God has done something for me through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he's doing something in me right now, and he's stirring it up that he might do something through me, not so that I can be recognized, but so that his goodness and his glory and his power can shine upon somebody whose life has been destroyed by the enemy and they're drenched in darkness and deception. But somebody anointed by God, gifted by God, can bring the grace of God into their life and create a dynamic change. That in the end, God would be glorified and God would be recognized. That the people that we encounter in life, and again, this is a hard one to explain because it's not about you, but in listening, that in, in, in the experiences of your life, and when people begin to testify of things that go on in their life, did you actually make a difference with the glory of God and the gift of God in your life in somebody else's life? Because if we're not releasing the gifts of God to make a difference in somebody else's life, then what are we doing? And right, more, right now, as much as any time in our life, we hear people wondering what's going to happen next. As we've been talking about in the morning, what about now? Because what happens next determines on what we do now. And when you're talking to somebody at work or Somebody in your neighborhood, or, or they're like, man, with all this stuff going on, it's just hard to know what's going to happen next. And you have an opportunity by a gift that's on the inside of you to do something right now that will let them know what can happen next in their life. There's that place where Peter says, think it not strange, my beloved brethren, fiery trials 
come into your life. Sometimes as faith people were like, why is this happening? I'm believing God. That's why it's happening. Because <laughs> you're believing God. Come on. Peter lines it out. Read that. Peter said, listen, if we're suffering for the gospel's sake, we should just rejoice. But if we're suffering because we're being doofuses, then take it as it comes. That's certainly a paraphrase. Right? But he says, if you're, if you're suffering because of your wrongdoing, then don't be whining about it. It's your doing. And he says, if you're suffering for Christ's sake, don't whine about it. Rejoice that it's been recognized that you stand out from the world. So we really want to understand and think about, you know, where's my faith at? And we've been talking about that on Sunday morning. Our faith right now, that we live by faith every single day. The second thing that we're going to come back to is you have to stir up the gift of God that is in you. And we're going to talk about a number of ways over the upcoming weeks about stirring up the gift of God in you. The word of God will stir up the gift of God in you. Prayer will stir up the gift of God in you. Worship will stir up the gift of God in you. These all need to be a part of our life that we're constantly stirring. We're constantly moving to get that stirring up. Whether it's like, you know, whether it's like you got a pot of soup and all the good stuff is in the bottom and you got to stir it up. Or whether you have a fire that's going out and you have to poke it and you have to stir that fire back up to get raging. Whatever it is, you either get the tasty stuff in life by stirring it up or you get a fire raging again by stirring it up. But we need to stir up the gift on the inside of us observing over the last decade maybe even 20 years the church has gotten comfortable in who it is we've allowed different things to take place we haven't stirred up the gift we haven't activated we haven't been out there being the light that we should be on a regular basis we've allowed other things to take hold and take precedence but thank God we can turn from that and begin to be a light in the midst of darkness by stirring those things up he goes on to say this. He said, you cannot be ashamed. So we want to make sure and develop and allow the test to develop the genuineness, sincere, unfeigned, undisassembled faith that we have, unhypocritical faith that we have. We want to stir up the gift. We don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, right? To all people, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father and the angels in heaven. He said there's something that we should be bold about, and that is the message of the good news that Jesus Christ came to redeem people from their sin. We should never be ashamed of the ministry of reconciliation that he's given to each and every one of us. There's certainly those gifts and those callings that we know, but when he says you've been called to a holy calling, and I know there's things that spread out from there, but each and every person, you have something that you're called to. I remember in just looking at Philippians chapter 13, and Paul said, listen, this is what the prize of the mark of the high calling is, that I become more like Jesus every day that I'm being changed. And our calling is to allow ourselves to become more like him, to be transformed more like him. But what have we been called to that distinction for? And so somebody came out and said, okay, okay, okay. That's my calling, to be more like him. And what they were searching for is they said, well, then 
What's my ministry? So often we're looking for my calling, my ministry. What's my status in life? And I said, well, that's easy. Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Let's just start at the base things. We try to jump to the top. And I, am I an apostle? Am I a prophet? Am I a teacher? What's my ministry? What's my calling? Well, very first of all, your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. If you were reconciled to God, if I was reconciled to God, our first ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, to tell people that God was in Christ Jesus, not imputing their trespasses to them, but redeeming them unto God. That he who knew no sin became sin for them, that they might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a simple ministry. Paul told Timothy, don't be ashamed of that ministry. Don't be ashamed of that message. Why? Because the God of this world, the small g God of this world, has blinded their minds for that very purpose, lest the light of the glorious gospel shine on them. How does the enemy control lives and get them in the sway of the course of this world? Every fad that comes down the pike that he is determining and dictating as the God of this world, small g, the one, the prince of the power of the air. How does he just get people in that sway? Because he darkens their minds. He makes them ignorant to what things are going on. And he said, what will break that ignorance is just the light of the glorious gospel. You're no longer under the sway of sin. You're no longer under the condemnation that comes with that. But the blood of Jesus has broken the power of that over your life. And you now have a relationship as sons and daughters of God. He said, never be ashamed of that testimony of Christ dying for humanity. Because it contains within it the power to bring salvation restoration, healing, wholeness, health to the person who hears it. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, for you were called to a holy calling. You were called to a holy calling. Listen, it's something sanctified. It's something set apart. The calling that God has called us to is a pure calling. It comes from God. It's not to be manipulated. It's not to be uh, uh, defiled. It's not to be brought a whole bunch of other stuff into. It's a holy calling. It's something that when we know that God's called us out of darkness, he's brought us out of the darkness of sin and death, and he's called us out of that, and he's sanctified us, and he's set our feet on a solid rock, and he said, I've separated you from the sin and death that you were under, and I've called you out of that, and I've placed you in the kingdom of light, and now there's a calling that you have from that place to shine as a light everywhere. It's not just a religious thing. It's not just a, yeah, I go to church and I tell people about Jesus. It is a holy, sanctified calling that the anointing will rest upon if we stir it up and we utilize it. The anointing to break and to set the captive free will rest upon it. It's really time, church, as, as the church, we begin to recognize what God calls holy and see it as holy. Your faith is holy. Jude said that. He said in the midst of all the trouble that he was writing about, he said, but you, my beloved brethren, build yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude says, listen, your faith is most holy to God. Yet if we're not careful, we get lulled to sleep and just go, yeah, I have faith. Oh, yeah, I believe God. 
God says, no, your faith isn't casual. Your faith is holy. He said, when you believe me, that is so much different than believing someone else. It's so far separate from just believing what somebody else says. When you believe what I say, everything I've promised starts to become available and actively working. Oh, yeah, don't, don't tell me I don't have faith. I have faith. But do you see your faith as holy faith? Do you see what God has called you to as an opportunity for you to be recognized? Or do you see your calling as something holy set apart to God, as a service to God? It's a holy calling. Come on, you're all quiet today. I'm just challenging us as a church. It's time to really think about mobilizing ourselves with an understanding that when I'm out every day, and God is with me every day, the Spirit of God is accompanying me every day, I'm going to come across people's paths, and I want to be aware, I want to understand that I'm not just an ordinary person walking around Glenwood. I'm not an ordinary person where I'm working, where I'm living. I'm not just ordinary. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. I'm extraordinary. I said, you're extraordinary. I didn't say you were weird. Come on. There's something that Jesus lived in that I suppose we could say some of it was weird, but it was more extraordinary. Jesus didn't walk around really weird. Jesus walked around powerful. Right? That when you walk around, you're looking for where you can make a difference, a simple difference of, God, are you doing something in me right now? Do you want me to say something right now? To understand that I might be a sower and not a reaper. So do you have a seed for me to plant right now? Sometimes we think, well, what good does it do if I just plant that seed? I don't even know if that person was ever changed. It's your faith in the Word of God. It's your unashamed uh, place that the Word of God has within it the power of God to bring salvation. So why wouldn't I plant a word of encouragement, a seed of the Word of God in a heart, in a life, knowing that God is faithful to have somebody come by and water that seed and water that seed, and that seed will grow because within it has the power of growth and producing fruit. And God, if he can get me to plant it, God will make sure it gets watered and watered, and he'll make sure it gets cultivated, and he'll make sure that it gets harvested because we have faith in God. Praise the Lord. So I just want to encourage you. We're going to go into this in the upcoming weeks, stirring up the gift of God that is within you. To just stir it up. And we're going to start with the very first thing that stirs up the word of God on the inside of us is the word of God. I want to read a couple quotes and then we'll close for this evening. This is by J.C. Ryle. Uh, he is an Anglican bishop in the 1800s. And I love this. You'd, you'd almost think he wrote it today and not in the 1800s. He said, I call upon you not to forget the book of the soul. Do not let newspapers, novels, and romances be read while the prophets and apostles be despised. Do not let the exciting and sensual, and you could, we could say, we could interject since in the 1800s they did not have social media. <laughs> we could interject social media, internet, Right? Internet surfing all take place while the prophets and the apostles be despised. Do not let the exciting and sensual swallow up your attention while the edifying and the sanctifying 
can find no place in your mind. Come on. You want to stir up the gift of God in you? Don't let everything else occupy your mind and your heart. Don't let all the worries, all the stresses, all the decisions, all the pressures, all the entertainments occupy everything. We're not saying that times where you can sit down and entertain yourself or read a different book, but if that's what occupies you and there is no place for the Word of God to occupy your mind, you'll never be able to stir up the gift that's on the inside of you and have it have that power. R.A. Torrey said this. It was really, it's, it's just a powerful statement. It says, 99 Christians in every 100 are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every 100 are mere weaklings when they might be giants. Another writer commenting to that said, when Christians could be spiritual giants, they are often weaklings because they have ignored the source of fuel that could empower them to be mighty. Come on, we talk about stirring up the gift and finding strength in us. The Word of God is so important. Now, lest you be sitting in Sunday morning and now you come to Sunday night and say, are we going to just talk about the Word of God a lot right now? Yes. But don't miss it for something else. Because from the psalmist all the way through, it's this word of God that is alive. It's alive. And listen, the gift of God in you, activated by grace and the Holy Spirit, the word and the spirit always agree. If you're trying to function at a high level in the spirit and you have no word of God in you, you'll struggle. You'll struggle. You'll come up with things like, well, I know the Spirit of God is telling me to do this. And you go to the Word and you're like, how is He telling you to do this? The Word doesn't tell you to do that. In fact, it leans more to not doing that. Well, see, then we get into emotionally listening to what we think is the Spirit of God. But because the Word and the Spirit agree, the Word, the Spirit takes the Word of God and He translates it into life for us. And so the Word of God becomes alive and it becomes powerful and it becomes actively working by revelation of the Spirit of God. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life to us. So we want to know what God is saying to us. He's speaking to us, right? One person said, listen, our prayer is us speaking to God. The Bible is God speaking to us. And they said, we ought to spend more time hearing what God has to say to us. Amen. We like to talk to God a lot. I love prayer. We looked in here how prayer is essential. But if our prayer is based on a conversation with God because we know his word. Have you ever talked to somebody who doesn't know your language? Have you ever talked to somebody endeavoring to develop a relationship and have a conversation certainly we, we all have and we could probably point the finger at each other so be careful <laughs> but you've ever talked to somebody and all they want to talk about is their interests and they never want to talk about your interests 
Do you always consider that a pretty close relationship? Probably not. But if we're not careful, we as the church are always talking to God about our interests because we don't know his interests. But when we get into his word, we know what God is interested in. And we can have some dynamic conversations with God in prayer when we know what he's talking about because we've read his word. Amen? So I know, you know, there, there's just different things. We want to be, we want our gift recognized. We want to start getting, moving in the spirit and in our giftings. But you got to stir up that gift rightly so the gift can really be beneficial and minister to other people. And so we'll talk about that. Why don't you stand up? Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. I pray that even by the Holy Spirit right now, God, for each and every heart and each and every life, the day that we live in, this generation, this time, this season in our nation and around us, there's so much going on. There's so many things that are trying to be covered and unrecognized and unrealized. But I pray that you'd move on our hearts and our lives and reveal to us the things that we need to know as believers, that we would walk free from fear and doubt, we'd walk free from the shame that would try to come upon us, that even people would try to inflict upon us because of their own thoughts and ideas, but we would walk as lights in a dark place, that you'd bring comfort, you'd bring strength, you'd bring health to each and every person, that you would anoint each one with the anointing of the Spirit of God. And the grace of God to go out from this place throughout the week and live every day by faith in the blood of Jesus and who we are and what you're doing in us, what you desire to do through us. And by that, we begin to realize that there are giftings on the inside of us, that you're calling us to places to stand before people, that we might share the truth of the gospel with them and that we would be bold. Grant unto your servants boldness to speak your word, stretching forth your hand. There might be signs and wonders take place to show forth your goodness, that you would receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, that lives would be turned to you, that people would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We extend our faith and believe that we receive in this time the spirits of men, women, and children born again into the kingdom of God. Lives change for all of eternity because we are not ashamed of the gospel. And so we thank you and we pray for an awakening and a revival in our hearts that will carry out of our hearts and out of this building into our community and the region and the nation that we live in. And we thank you for it. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.